Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. Hope you had a wonderful bank holiday Monday yesterday. Uh, of course, we are sending this out on the Tuesday rather than our usual Monday 6am um, drop time uh, because I know that uh, obviously no one was in school uh, yesterday. So this is fresh for your new week of school for your first commute. Uh, today, uh, we sat down with Brett Summersby. Uh, Brett uh, was a great uh, person to have on the podcast. He was recommended by Matt Dix from Manic Street Teachers. Uh, and it was great to sit down with him and talk about a number of different aspects of primary education, including um, curriculum and low stakes retrieval, including picture books and comics and, and behavior and pastoral support and care as well. A wide ranging interview, but with some really interesting insights by Brett. Um, he is a currently working as a PPA teacher, but he has worked in a number of year groups, a number of roles, including a reading lead and a PE lead and at a PRU as well. Uh, so lots of great experience to bring here from Brett. Uh, can't wait to share this with you. Please do remember to leave a review and su subscribe to the podcast first of all, but leave a review on your podcasting platform as well. That would really help to get these great conversations out. And without further ado, let's sit back, enjoy and enjoy the discussion we had with Brett Summersby. And one final thing to mention before we go into Brett's excellent episode uh, is that on, on recording, on looking back on the recording or listening back, I noticed that there was a little bit of audio issues uh, with some of Brett's responses, particularly when we were talking about his first of the primary three, when he was talking about picture books and comics. Some of his um, um, words were cutting out here and there, which is very di uh, disappointing. By around the time we get to the second of the primary three, that does sort itself out. So uh, I hope you do enjoy, but please stick with it. Uh, there's some great, fantastic things that he shares in this episode. So please enjoy. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Brett Summersby. How are you doing today, Brett? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Matt. You okay? Yes, doing well on the holidays, and so just enjoying a bit Big more time. relaxed time. And here we are talking about education, which is great. <laughs> so thank you for your time, first of all, during this time, Brett. No, you're welcome. Fantastic. Well, let's get started with your quick fire questions to begin with. First of all, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, Mr. S underscore primary. Excellent. How many years have you been in primary education? Oh, year 11, I think. I'm at that point where I'm, I'm starting to lose track of it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, what would you say, uh, well, along that way, uh, how, what has been your primary journey so far? So what roles, responsibilities, teaching roles yeah. have you had so far? Um, I've kind of gone kind of across everything, really. I started off um, without a job when I graduated um, PDC. So I did supply for four terms in the end. So the whole year and a bit. Um, and obviously did complete, that was all across London. Um, across every single class, I even, you know, from year six all the way down to nursery. So that was an experience to start with. Actually, in hindsight, very valuable to, to have um, going to teach in and experience all different age groups and all different schools. It gave me quite a nice idea of the type of school I liked, the school I didn't like, the age groups I liked, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and and, and and to be and for me to be totally terrified of tiny children. Um, they are really hard work, <laughs> and, I, and I have massive respect to any any EYFS teacher out there. Um, uh, and then I've been working. I've worked as just as uh, got my first job as an NGT, Um Quickly became P lead in the same school. 
Um, and I was there for about four four years, I think it was in the end, and then um, relocated to Nottingham. Um, took a job up in Nottingham, um, like I said, um, and then um, became within a year of working there, became English lead or joint English lead. It was two, two of us shared it, and I focused mostly on the reading side, and the other she focused on the writing side of it. Was there for another four years, I think again, and then went into uh took a job at Pru, which I was there for eighteen months, I think. That was that was my my, my COVID experience was in a Pru. Wow. Um so I, I took the job and changed jobs at that Easter when it all started. So when I left the previous school it was it was a very strange way to leave. You know, we went into lockdown. We were in part time that you know I was I was in and out of school and then just kind of, that was it. I was gone. It was, there was no sort of, it was, it was a very strange way to go. Um, and then left and then went to the Pru. And that was all part-time. That was very interesting. Um, I was there for 18 months or so in Key Stage 2. And the way that worked was it was just these two classes. There was no year groups or anything like that. It was just, it was put down in terms, you, you worked it out in terms of the mix of rather than the age groups. Um and that was really valuable experience, I think, to to work in outside of mainstream education to see what, what happens and how it works. And, and actually, I got to work with a lot of Key Stage 3 kids there as well because there was a very small primary, um, eight kids maximum primary. And then there was one large Key Stage 3. So I got to experience three kids. Um, and then eventually there was a change in a restructuring there and then ended up coming back into primary education and currently teaching. Uh, I'm currently a PPA teacher now um, across Key Stage 2. Um, this year, I've been mostly covering Year 6 because of illness and things like that. So I've been part of this journey this year. And I'm still in there, up to, I think, up until tapped and then I'll probably doing my normal timetable across Key Stage 2. So I've kind of covered a lot of bases. And I'm back, I'm back to being Peely as well, which was my first um, leadership job. <laughs> Amazing. That is fascinating. And, and uh, well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure we could have a whole episode about talking about the experiences in the Peru as well and uh, mm. kind yeah. of the the, uh, the, the the things you learned there about education and things like that. Uh, in, uh, would you, what would you say is your favourite subject, uh, Brett, and why is that? Um... I don't know. Do you know what? I don't know. I've always wondered. There's a lot of times I like teaching. A few, a few I find really difficult to teach. Um, but I enjoy I enjoy teaching maths. That's just because as, uh, even as a child, I just I enjoyed maths quite a lot. My favourite subjects in school. Um, but I think I probably enjoy that and maybe just and, and re, you know it's reading hmm. I, think, I think about it it's probably it's reading just because I love <clears throat> talking about books I love sharing books with children I love yeah the book the things that I like for children as well so when you know what like, like later I suppose is, is, is the things I prefer but I, I like about reading and I like to share and talk about books with kids I think you know, even even when you've got kids who are readers, in those reading lessons, you can grab them, even if they're reading 
like that, you can still see that they that they get it and they understand it, and you can still talk to them about it. So you know, I suppose it's, I suppose they're in that sense they're forced to do it with you at that point. We're doing that, and actually, you can still see that that they benefit from it, and they still see they enjoy it, even if they don't go away and do it in their own time. Mm, absolutely no and i'm sure we'll dive more into that a, a bit later as well and the last one is if you had to or if you already do what after school club would you run oh um i would do you know what recently and actually this comes this kind of comes from being at the crew as well where we're, one of the things we used to do a lot there um it was part of the pastoral work was just play games with the kids and 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 do lots of things, you know, around turn taking, around making sure that you know you, you you play by rules and that kind of stuff, and, and accept those things, and also accept the fact that you know someone has to win, someone has to lose. Um, and I really enjoyed that part of it. And I would, and I started around that sort of time. I'd also started to play board games a lot more, and and and. You know, boy, we used to ball game, kids ball games that we used to play. So I used, to, I used to bring some of those in school, in the room. We used to play some of them, and the kids really enjoyed them. So I'd love to do some kind of ball game mm. after school club or something like that. That would, I think, that'd be really, really brilliant because one, you've got the social element of it. Um, you know, the kids getting together and, and and just playing and having that structure as well for some of the children. Having that without that structure and find that kind of time difficult. It's nice to have a little structure time to do something, structure way to do something. Um, also, in the last 18 months, you know, there, I've, I've found out that there is a plethora of children's board games that are brilliant mm. and fun as an adult to play, but also have that element of having to have strategy and all that kind of stuff. So, you, you know, you, you need to think about it. It's not, there's lots of games out there not about luck and rolling the dice to see what you get they are there is strategy behind them and there's a lot of cooperative ones as well that I've started that we've started to do because we've got a little boy occasionally you know we've, we've started to do those more but get games more because it's the chance to be successful because obviously we've only got one child so when he plays with us he is playing against adults um, so sometimes he feels like he's always going to lose that kind of thing because we you know we don't want to let we don't want to we do hear but he he wants to feel like he's playing with someone mm. and a more more popular one. I think they'd be really beneficial for lots of children to play and, and learn to work as a team and the skills they can teach are, are brilliant and they're just fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that sounds great. I mean, I, I know that uh, when we uh, kind of in the midst of the pandemic lockdown and there was a spare half an hour left or, or 20 minutes and there's like a handful of children and we, the reduced year groups, we occasionally yeah. get a board game out and yeah. actually that experience of doing that you know a lot of kids don't have that these days yeah. uh, with their families and and whoever and yeah. so it's a really valuable experience that's a really great shout uh, let's move on then uh, to to our our next question which is all about what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place brett um it's kind of i feel i feel like when, I, when you sent this question over i had a little think about it I felt a little bit like I almost just kind of fell into it. It wasn't like it wasn't anything that I set my, you know, set my uh, set certain sights on or like that. You know, I've been to university. I finished my. I didn't do anything to teach in university. I did sports development. Um, you know, which still had a. Uh, I had a goal of kind of still working with children, working with young people, and that kind of thing. So that 
that was kind of the link there. But then I finished, I finished my university. I kind of just, after that, just had odd jobs here and there, just came back and just, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Kind of enjoyed myself a bit. And then got to sort of a few years after that and thought, we need to now think about something more long-term than working in the pub. Um, and, but teaching was never anything I'd ever thought about. My mum's a teacher, she's a head teacher now. And it was always that, no, I went, no, I can't, not going to do what does. That's never going to do that. And in the end, I had a thought, you know, well, it's working with, it's not what I wanted to do initially in terms of working in a sporting context with different children, but it's, it is still working with young people. And I thought, I'll give it a go. Um, and I went in and did some voluntary work at school. My mum used to work in, my auntie was TA in. Um, and just did one day a week. And just really enjoyed it and then so applied for a pgce um and then yay ended up being a, my first job was in education was a job as a ta in a private school um yeah it was another different very different experience um and it kind of just went from there really and i just i found out that i enjoyed it and then and felt after a while that i was quite yeah, as well you know, I enjoyed it. I was good at it, and it, was, it gave me. It was more. It was, and there's a lot more purpose behind. I know. I think I like the purpose behind it as well. Mm. You know, actually, it's not a job I'm going to turn up to, and whether I'm there or not, you know, someone else will do the job, and nothing will happen. It feels like you have an impact in it, and actually, that kind of that side of it was probably what then took me into it after experiencing it and doing the voluntary stuff. It was actually. You know, there's an impact behind this. There's there's a meaning to it. It's not just I'm not just working for a company in an office. Something out, and whether I do that or not has no has doesn't have a massive impact on the world around me. Whereas this feels like you do. It feels like I have a purpose and I have an impact on on the children and the people that I work with, and that that's the part of it that kind of keeps me going. That's the part of it that I enjoy the most. Mm. Now, I love that. And I think that's such a really important point that so many things about primary education is fantastic, but obviously that the impact that you have and the, the role that you play in the lives of these people, these young people, yeah. and of course, with the staff that you work with as well, uh, it's just, it's invaluable, which is fantastic. And obviously in those experiences working with children, uh, we have opportunities to, to uh, have uh, experiences which are quite funny sometimes as well. Uh, what's one of those uh, funny stories that you can share from your time in primary education, Brett? Do you know what? I, I, and, and this is one of those things where I, I sat thinking about thought, thinking about it, and just think. And, and like you said before we started recording, it was one of those uh, second hand. There's, there's lots of things I know that, have, that are funny, but then trying to remember them in, in, in clearly enough to say something to talk about them. Um, but I think one of the things it's not from this sponsor, not from me as a teacher, but from when I was a kid mm. in in primary school. Yeah. Um, and it kind of it's last it's been a lot had a last impact on me really. Um, I was in year six. Uh, we had Ethan Paul who was uh, renowned for being incredibly strict, really strict. Um, in this in 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 a very old school sense as well. Uh, at that point, so this is like you know the, the mid nineties, um, and but we also had student teacher at the time who was who was very different. Completely opposite, really good teacher, but completely opposite. And I remember one time we were, we were brought in 
um, me and a, and a group of other boys break time from lunchtime. And, you know, that, that was, it happened a few times at that point. It wasn't unusual um, to have a conversation with the teacher. Um, and, you know, fearing the worst, fearing the worst, thinking, oh God, what, what's happened this time? And then, um, but then we sat down with the student teacher and she had a project that she wanted us to work on um, over the next few weeks. And it was a project that no one else in the school was allowed to know about, just us as a group. Um, and it was going to build up to something that we would, yeah, we, we would share with the rest of the school. Um, now, I know she definitely picked us as a group because it was easy for us to be in at break time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were definitely chosen for that reason. Like it, it was it was plausible that, that we would miss break times for whatever reason. Um, and, in, and, and so no other child battered an eyelid at this at all. And it went on for quite a few weeks, I think, potentially maybe even four weeks, maybe, I think, of not necessarily every day, but missing a break time, missing some lunchtime over a long period of time, building up to assembly. Um, and this assembly was Comet Relief. And we were sort of preparing a Comet Relief assembly, essentially, like an appearance of Comet Relief assembly. And we, um, on the day, had the whole school in the hall. The school was quite, it was an old school, but it had its own stage, right. a proper stage built into the wall and everything. It wasn't, wasn't, and it had curves across it. it was, uh, and, and so we were standing behind the stage. And it was the year that um, the Spice Girls did their Comet Relief song. So we, so we had these five boys, me and four other lads, who were quite often in trouble for doing things at break time. Um, you know, we weren't, 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 weren't the best behaved at all times. Um, and the, there was like a surprise, you know, introduced a, a surprise appearance was, was, was being talked about by the teacher who was doing it. And it was our student teacher who was running the assembly. And, you know, she sort of surprise appearance by Form for us, um, introduced essentially. She introduced it that you know that the Spice Girls had come to school to perform their song, and the curtain went back, and it was us five boys dressed as the Spice Girls to perform the Spice Girls song. We'd spent these four or five weeks, wherever it was, at break times and lunch times, learning a dance, learning the song, and. And then, and then eventually dressed up as the Spice Girls. And I remember being, you know, I was dressed up as Baby Spice. So I had these, I didn't have very long hair, but I had these tiny pigtails in my hair as well at the time. <laughs> um, and it was, it, it was the sort of thing that I think about now. And I think that's the sort of thing in primary school that people do, like it happens. And it still happens, you know, to this day. And I still think, that, that, that you can have that kind of fun with kids and kids are going to take that on board and, and go with it. We, we, we went with it. Like, I remember going with it. No one thought, no, this would be a stupid idea. Why would we do this? Straight away, everyone thought, yeah, this, yeah, this would be hilarious. It'd be brilliant. And, and school, the school, you know, opened up 
and as soon as they saw who it was, the school was in absolute raptures. You know, all the children, all the kids, thinking that's not Spice Girls, that's 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 Brett, and that's Mike, and that's Mitch um, <laughs> doing the song. And but but to the point where at the end of it, there was a they, they, we we had they called for an encore, which <laughs> <laughs> the song. Um, and just just seeing that, I remember seeing the kids and the you know we we were prepared for the whole school there, but to see how funny they all found it and how like you know that was the kind of thing I thought when I was thinking about this question, thinking actually, you know, the, the kids love that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's they do love that kind of thing. It's like when you do thinking about product, you know, when you do your production and all the stuff that's not the education side of it. Mm. Um, and it's it's those kind of things that happen in primary school that the kids also remember. And I, I obviously, you know, I remember that. I remember coming out and thinking, "This is this is ridiculous thing to do." There's me dressed up as Emma Bunton with my hair sprayed yellow because I had brown <laughs> hair. Um, you know, in this dress, this pink dress. You know, everyone else, everyone else dressed up. One of the one of the other lads who was the only reason he was Jerry Halliwell because he had ginger hair. Yeah. So he was Jerry Halliwell. And, you know, very much of the time, probably, probably slightly inappropriately, had balloons, you know, had, had rather large balloons in his, <laughs> under his dress, <laughs> you know, but, but it was, it just, it was just a, a really hilarious experience for the whole school, not just for us, mm. for the whole school. Yeah. And it reminds me of things like, you know, I still think have still do things like in school and it's nice to see them like I remember when you know it kind of matches up to the school I used to first work in Nottingham where they do serious assembly mm. um, the junior school to the year three and before Christmas they do serious assembly and the year threes are all told you know, everyone else is in on it apart from year three except in the year group serious assembly the day you know the last day of the before Christmas all the other kids are in on it serious assembly oh yeah it's really serious assembly you know they come in they tell us all these things about you know the things we need to be doing over Christmas, and making sure that we're you know, doing all the right things. It's, it's yeah, it's really, it's, they're, they're really serious with it. And we come in and we do a panto. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. The, 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 the adults did the panto from Revolting Revolting Rhymes panto, and again, it's hilarious to see for the kids to see their teachers dressed up in these ridiculous outfits. You know, I mean, one time we we managed to get there was I can't remember who were but two of us in a pair of trousers to be a giant. That kind of thing, and and not t- I think not in primary education. It's it's don't take yourself seriously. Yeah. I don't take myself very seriously. I think it's important to do that for the kids and to have those things outside of outside of those normal classroom like classroom environment. Have those experiences, and that's something that just remind I just remembered from my time as a kid, and and I know that it still happens in schools now. That yeah. kind of thing happens all the time, and I think it's brilliant. Absolutely. And like you say, you won't forget that, you know, that, that is something that's going to stick in your mind and that is going to be, um, you know, a memory that you always have and, and cherish from your time in primary mm-hmm. school. And I think that, you know, of all the talk about all the things about curriculum and about its progress yeah. and about all these things which are important, it's important to remember, you know, the joy of primary school as well and just how it should be a great memory for these kids. Um, Let's go on then to your primary three. And for those who are new listeners, perhaps uh, this is three things about primary education, which you think, or the guest thinks is really important. It could be philosophies, resources, top tips, absolutely anything that they just come to their 
lines and is just they're really passionate about. And so thank you for sending me yours ahead of time, uh, Brett. So your first one that we're going to talk about today is reading, and in particular, uh, picture books and comics. So why is that so important to you in primary education? Um, I think that, and it, it's probably this is probably geared more towards the upper end of primary school. Obviously, things like picture books and that through key stage one uh, and even lower key stage two are there everywhere. Yeah. I think sometimes, not in every school, but there, there are schools out there that do this really well. Schools out there that also probably, as you get older, they they move away from these things. They move away from move away from um, using things like novels and comics to more tech-heavy things, and that's you know I, I think that's. Partly because the kids get older, partly because, yes, we need to cover those things. You know, you need to start to build on those and, and, but we forget that there are a, a, an absolutely a wide range of picture books, wide range of graphic novels that are there for children of that age. Mm-hmm. And we don't, I don't think we use them enough. I think if you, I think if you went on Twitter and you looked on Twitter, you'd be, did it because there's such a big a huge path for a lot of people Twitter is led by people like Carl Duke and Simon Smith and you know they're, they're constantly promoting the books they use and all the picture books they use throughout the whole of their school there are a lot of schools that tend to focus on the more traditional route of you know okay as we get older we want and actually whilst that is valuable and whilst that's where they're going to end up eventually in secondary school. There's so much value in looking at text and images combined mm. in different ways. There's so much value in looking at wordless picture books, you know, even even in year six. Mm-hmm. It's this, this, you can still get all of those, all that reading and writing skills, all those skills, all those things you teach in English, you can still get those through those texts. You know, you can you can still get I look at things like um, Flotsam and Tuesday, and those kind of books. Wordless picture books, the Journey, the Journey trilogy. Now, my, my son did the Journey trilogy this year in year two, mm-hmm. but you could use that at any year group. You know, that could be a whole school thing because there's so much in those books to talk about. There's so much to draw out of them from the imagery they use. There's no words at all, but you can still do it. You can still look at all a whole massive amount of inference and predicting and analysing it because the the choice of choice within the illustrations is important as choice of words when you're telling that story they are they, they go side by side they're not here's a story we're going to add some illustrations to it they are vital within a picture but within a graphic novel they are vital to those things they they, they work together to build the story um and I think that also, you know, it's 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 really important for those children who struggle with large amounts of text, either because their reading skills aren't as developed, or they um, they don't have the vocabulary necessarily to digest everything as much. They don't have the life experience, maybe. You know, that that's 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 a really difficult thing as you get higher in the school, and I'm sure. Those two teachers will, will talk. We easily talk about that. Is you know you need a text. If you have a text where the, the children don't have a, a life experience that fits it, it you know, um, and you can 
with picture books and graphic novels and using those that imagery, you can help bridge that gap. You can give them that new experience if they haven't had it themselves. If it's not a lived experience, you can show them that lived experience in some way where they don't have to imagine it themselves and have to have had that experience to understand it fully. You can, you know, it's it's the school I'm in at the moment. They talk a lot about um, they talk a lot about cultural capital in a way that is giving children things outside their lived experience. And whilst, and, and I would say that my current school is in, is on a journey of in that that they use a lot of technology and I'd like and to get use more imagery more um, to do those kind of things um, but it is about that it's about it's a way to give children something outside their lived experience in a way that's that's tangible for them that they can understand it better they can they can relate to it in some way even if you know because they can see the imagery they can see the characters they can see what's happening and see where they are so they get a better idea of understanding what the the author wants what the illustrator wants from them um and i think they just are so valuable across the curriculum i'm sure i know you you, you did um recently did one with carl duke and i'm sure he would say the same things he's oh i've been to his school luckily i have to go to his school and see his, his school in action and it's he his whole his school is about books mm. and and they they use their curriculum so full of picture books really you know they base everything around picture books they use it across the curriculum and there's so much space for that kind of thing you know um and it's you know graphic novels is is more of a personal passion of mine because I, I love comics i love novels. i read loads and loads and loads and i think that you know there's there is still there's still a stigma around comics mm. there always has been mm. Um, both for adults and children, it's seen as a lesser form of reading for a lot of people. You know, that's traditionally that's how it's seen. You know, it's it's pictures, it's, it's words, it's easier, but it, it just as complex. It's just as well written because you've got this team of people who are writing and illustrating at the same time. The stories are just as good um they're just not all words mm. and it's that's that we need to move away from that stigma as you get older it just aren't for you anymore you know and like i said if you went on twitter you'd find that everywhere but i know you know you know you know that twitter isn't all teaching the twitter isn't the world is it so you know it's, it's just small smaller window into it yeah. and actually we need more of to say to people and children that these books are okay for you to read because they are brilliant they are good books you can get so much out of them you can get so much out of things like you know the, 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 the range of things they cover you know thinking of um when the scars the stars are scattered that's you know refugee no countries another refugee one there's the corpse talk series which is non-fiction um a talk show version of uh, about historical figures and some which you know even when I'd read it there were historical figures in there I'd not I didn't know a lot about and I hadn't heard of mm. but you know the the guys of but I you know you, I look at it I think the guys of having a talk show where you interview the, the, the 
walks on a famous person essentially is what happens in it it's it's an interesting concept but it's a fun concept mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's not it's not just here's some information about a person it, it, it's a good way to put children in it. and it's well written it's hilarious the way they do it's funny but there's so much to learn from it as well like I, I, I've learned loads from course talk and I've used them in my teaching since I've used them for things like in history and I've used them in science to just get across concepts because the way the way they set it up is you have two double page spreads of this interview and then you have a double page spread of something significant which that person is known for or you know if it's a scientist what they were what they were famous for in terms of their scientific um discoveries and things like that or if it's a person of history what were they known for you know i remember i've done one with year six about gandhi and we talked about and he talked then about his pacifism and that kind of thing and the double page spread is all about how he protested and how he he viewed the world yeah. and so it's bringing in a different viewpoint different culture as well um but making it visually making it visually appealing making it visually accessible for every single child in that class yeah you know it's not we're not worried about just looking at the facts and the information in the text and i think that you know it's just important to do those things and it makes those skills those inference skills those prediction skills those retrieval skills makes them accessible for every single child in that class because you don't need necessarily to have those skills in a text sense you can develop them more visually for those skills to find that hard it's, it, then they can then work on those skills and bridge that gap again between not being not so between the text and between the, the image and that kind of thing and that's that's something that i've always tried to push in every in the schools i've been in the last you know the last sort of five six seven years yeah absolutely and there's a couple of things points there which i think are really fascinating that you make about first of all this cultural capital and about how mm. using picture books gives children a, a better cultural capital because yeah. they're not just reading it as words on a page they're not just no. experiencing it that way they are seeing it in a much more multi-layered yeah. way and of course with picture books they tend to be less in length so you can experience mm-hmm. more types and more genres yeah. and more yeah, uh, definitely. Things with that, which is fantastic. Corpse talk, which you mentioned there, I had never heard of before, and I've just I've just googled it whilst you're talking. Yeah. They look fantastic, and so they I'm are. They're, to... they're absolutely brilliant. They're absolutely yeah. brilliant. I, know, I think there's now I think there's maybe five, five or six different books for that now. Yeah, and they all cover they all they all sort of cover different things. Like they have, there's one which is totally dedicated to to women through history. Mm. There's one that's totally dedicated to scientists, um, and then I've, the scientists one I've used in science lessons to talk about a scientist and i know that that's something that the curriculum is, is you know we're trying to gear towards not just what is science but who who is the science as well yeah. so that you know the people behind what we've learned you know absolutely. that kind of thing and then it's really it's, it's a really interesting way of looking at it and actually it's a really fun way for the kids to look at it as well yeah absolutely and you know, I'm sure if uh, people are interested in using comics, because I think that that's an area we talk a lot about picture books and we talk about how important they are, but we don't really hear much about the discussion around comics and around how well they can be implemented mm. into the curriculum. Yeah, um, and, yep. I'm, and I'm sure you could talk uh, share much more on that. And if people want to find out more, uh, they can obviously get in contact with you and uh, and find out yeah, you know some ways in which you do that because I think that's a really interesting uh, 
way into into that as well. I do want us to move on uh, onto the second yes. of your primary three. Um, just uh, being aware of just amount, the amount of great things we have to talk about, which um, the second of your primary three um, is about retrieval, uh, low stakes retrieval across the curriculum. So first of all, why is that uh, so important to you, Brett? Um, and it's it's something that is only sort of coming to my teaching maybe in the last three years, maybe, mm-hmm. um, where I've really thought about it something that needs something that's that's important to the way we teach um and i think it's important because it's thinking back to the way we we learn and thinking back to trying to build a curriculum that is that within your school that that isn't just a bit here and a bit there and kind of stuff together which you know lots of schools are moving away from that and um over the last few years but that was kind of how it was when I first started. It was like, you know, well, we'll just do the Tudors here and we'll just do the Egyptians over there and we'll do some volcanoes here. And there was never, the the, the link between throughout the school was never really, there was never really a link. It was just, this is what year five do and this is what year two do. This, this there was no thought about, well, year two do this here because of this and because of this. There was no link back or link, you know, from if you if you studied something in year in year two that you went then and studied something in year five that was similar or had links to it. We didn't make those links as as much as we probably should have done. And now that's something that I, I know that lots of lots of schools and lots of things trying to, trying to do with the whole, you know, building your new curriculum and making sure that your curriculum has purpose and the intent, you know, the things that actually throughout your year throughout the whole school, not just you teach things well, but why do you teach things in a certain place? And retrieval fits in with that because you're con- you want to constantly link. You want to link your curriculum. You want to link back to lots of things you've done before. You want to link back not just within the year group. Um, you know, like you don't want to just go back to something that we did earlier in the week or earlier in the term. You want to link, make your links between your year groups, even between key stages. Um, and through the wider curriculum, through your foundation subject, that's where it's really key. I think retrieval is probably more often more used in things like maths, in things like English, things like that. Because you think about the skills you need to learn, you think about okay, well we did fra- we did fractions last last time, so let's let's do a little bit on that and start this lesson. In our mind, it's about keeping it fresh and keeping the links going. Um, and show that it may link to something we're doing now. But actually, doing that throughout your curriculum in terms of across a year group, in terms of your wider curriculum, and across the whole key stage and the whole school is really important to drip feed. One, to sort of drip feed and come back to that knowledge and keep returning to something, keep remembering it. Um, you know, if it's talking, it's about little, you know, remember, keep giving your brain the chance to remember something. And the more you remember it, the more you, the more you try to remember it, the better days in your long-term memory. You know, it's 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 stick and knowledge that that's a big thing for often. You know, in curriculum at the moment, is about sticky knowledge and making sure that what we teach the kids remember. You know, rather than just doing it and then moving on. Mm-hmm. And it's and to show children that the skills we learned last term, the skills we learned last year, the skills we learned three years ago, have built towards this point. We're still talking about those skills now, and we put a good 
you know, an art lesson uh, last half term, and we did we in the art lesson we talked we were talking about um, dazzle camouflage that they used in World War One on boats, and um, the whole point of dazzle camouflage was wasn't to camouflage something to hide it, but just to, to break up the lines because it was a boat. So you can't really, you know, it was to, you to break up lines so that German U-boats weren't sure which direction it was moving in, which what 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 the front of the boat was, or that kind of thing. So um, the colour schemes weren't traditionally camouflage-esque. You know, you weren't sitting there going, okay, it's going to be a blue and a grey because you want to put background. It was, they were sharp lines, they were um, bold colours. And so we went back to in our retrieval in that set to talk about primary colours, secondary colours, complementary colours, um, that was relevant to what we're talking about. And that was actually, if this is an application of that thing you learned in year two. Remember that thing you learned in year two? It was year six, so you know, four years ago now. We're, we're still talking about that now. We're still applying that knowledge that we learned. Because in this lesson, you're going to look at colours that are going, to, are going to be, going to clash a little bit. You're not going to look for colours that are going to blend in. You're going to look for colours that are clash. And that was, you know, that, that drives home to the children that, We've learned something ages ago, still relevant, and it's still and there's a reason we've learned that then. Because later on, we're going to start, we're going to apply it, and the children then applied the fact that, you know, they wanted to do a, a fashioning of colours rather than colours that complemented each other in this lesson. You know, and and when you think about an easy one is to think about things like history. You know, link linking different civilizations that. Um, where you've learned about similar themes. Like this year, in the year six, I mean, I've been teaching it recently. You know, the, 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 the theme we're doing at the moment is conflict. And we're doing that through World War One, World War Two, and then we, we do go on to um, talk about a war. But in that, when we looked at World War One, we looked at how conflict had changed over time. The retrieval was then well, let's think about the Vikings. Let's think about the Romans. How did they? How did they approach conflict? What did they do? And then that built into our lesson of, well, then how has technology changed conflict mm. over time? And how has that changed? How did, how did? How was world? You know, the First World War. How was that? How did, how was that a completely different war to things that happened before? Yeah. And so we looked at. So they went back to what they'd learned about conflict in those eras. To then build it on today and how it's different. So, you know, we, we're not we weren't looking at World War One. We are looking at conflict through the through the lens of World War One, but looking back at what else we've learned about other civilizations at that time. So, it's it's building that those links in and showing that purpose of why have we learned this, why have we learned this before, actually because it's leading to this point. Now, now we can talk about this point in a really informed way and the kids know that they can talk about it in an informed way and the kids make and then they do eventually they start to make links even without if you build your curriculum well the children will then make those links as well themselves you don't have to do that um but the, having those low stakes sort of retrieval parts and we have to call them at the moment all our lessons start that way mm. lesson is retrieval is the first thing we do um and try and make it you know to retrieval that's relevant to what we're learning and so, so that it links to what we've done before, and so it builds that bigger picture for the children. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I was 
my question was going to be around about, you know, obviously, and I'm sure many listeners will be aware of kind of retrieval practice and about mm. how, I mean, for math, in maths in our school, for example, you know, at the start of every lesson, we kind of do the last lesson the last week, you know, we yeah. kind of do that kind of grid. And we've all seen those kind of grids, most of us will mm. have anyway. And if not, please do look, look out for them. They're really useful. They're really effective yeah. ways of building in retrieval practice. But I was going to ask you about the wider curriculum and about how can we go beyond that and think about how we, you know, smartly and intelligently apply that retrieval, mm-hmm. retrieval practice in the learning? And you've just answered that question, which is amazing. So thank you for that. I mean, that yeah. example there, I mean, I think, first of all, like you mentioned, looking at themes is a really important aspect yeah. of this. And it has to be there if you're going to be able to look back at previous learning and apply that. Yeah. Uh, but I love that idea of kind of, you know, looking at, you know, if you're looking at conflict in a particular time in World War II, let's say, taking some time in one of those sessions to go back to previous units of study Mm -hmm. to look at conflict and then bring it back rather than just focusing it in on that window of world war ii let's say for example and looking at what it looked like then and just having it as a as a window in that time and not linked to previous conflicts and ways of conflict as well yeah it's not it's it's a much more rich and in-depth study and much more interesting in my view than just looking at it in that one time period I mean, we've done, um, again, again this, this is a recent one because we're doing World War II. At the moment, we've looked at, obviously, the build-up to World War II and, and, and the, sort of the rise of Hitler, to, Hitler being in power. And in, this, in my current school, in year five, they looked at, um, they look at um, imperialism, they look at the slave trade mm. um, uh, um, as part of their curriculum. And so what the children are then able to do is look at the way the slave, you know, you look at the way slaves were treated, look at the way that um, during the slave trade that black Africans were treated by by the British and by the Americans and by, by other European countries and they can make links there to actually the same treatment to Jewish to, to the during you know in the lead up to world one they can see the same signs and they make those links well so they can say well actually that's just that's they're being treated in a very similar way to what we learned about mm. back then mm-hmm. it's the same thing or you know it's very similar and so they start to think then about how you know that cyclical nature of of history has actually well this has happened before mm. and it's happened before that probably you know and and, and it builds in that kind of knowledge of these things aren't all separate, separate things in separate places. They're all linked in some way, and people, you know, it's about. And unfortunately, this it's, it's a topic that's not always fun to talk about with them. But it, it, that kind of thing that people it happens, and they can see the links between it, and they can see how, in you know, the, how they were treated, and how people have been treated in times by other people. And build those links. Just, just it's, it's about building those links in, I suppose, and then seeing that these things happen in different places at different times, and there are influences in the way these things happen. And, and you know, people learn about these things throughout history, and you know, it will be it will be something that gives them that, I suppose, a wider view of the world, a wider view of what the world's like at certain points in time and how that sometimes can they can then apply that to things that happen around their lives and around the world today as well yeah. you know they can see that that thing happen it's not it's not something that 
isn't necessarily new, but they can talk about it in a more informed way and they can make judgments in a more informed way because they know how certain things have happened in the past. Mm. And those things like... And those neural links and those connections are made because yeah. they're building that structure, that schema around that idea, that yeah. theme, that topic, and then they can start to make links a lot easier because it's more interconnected there. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Uh, and yeah, I think this is um, you know something which, obviously, if you're in a school where that work on curriculum is being done and they've got themes in place and curriculum yeah. leads are taking, and subject leads are taking the lead on that and making that interconnected, it's easy. I suppose for teachers in a school where that's currently not the case, that may be more challenging. But I do mm-hmm. think that uh, someone that is passionate and interested in doing this can look at, say, their topic they're looking at, yeah, can yeah. look at a because uh, all schools will have long term plans about what the year groups exactly. Are for. They can they can make some of those links. It won't be as strong, yeah. of course, but it's something we can try and pick up. But you can do it there, you know. And that's it. You, you've got that long you've got that long term plan in place. You know what comes at what point, so you can make those links. You can see that. You know, in year three, we cover this part of, you know, you might we might do this part area of geography that covers something to do with the rainforest here, maybe in year three. And then later on, you can bring that back somewhere if you're going to, if you're going to focus on something that's more conservation based, something like that. You can bring back knowledge of the rainforest, mm-hmm. how the rainforest works, to then think about how that affects conservation and things like that, you know, and, and those slightly more areas of geography absolutely and uh I'll just to kind of bring an end to this particular of the primary three is uh, i was reading an article today and uh, and this is not the reason why we should be doing this but uh, an, a report from uh, the ofsted have been asking children uh as part of their inspections you know what's this particular river or what's Ooh. this uh and it's I, uh, I, did, I did see that posted somewhere. i haven't read the article but i saw it was like pop quiz wasn't it it's a title on it or something it's not great but it does you know it does kind of show that you know this is something that is being looked at the curriculum is an important part uh and whilst we should be doing it just to and and i think i i've not got my views on that and it's a bit crazy really but um the fact is is that we want that knowledge to be there we want the children to leave our school with the knowledge and the and the understanding the the knowledge is important but then being able to apply that is great but the knowledge, you know, you, you look at those things and it, it does come back to that cultural capital side of things. If you have that knowledge, because, you know, if you have that knowledge from outside your lived experience, then you are, the opportunities and the prospects of what you can do from that, as you get older, they, they, they just grow. Mm. You know, they grow because you know more about the world, you understand the world in a better way. And that's, that's, that's the purpose of it. It's, Actually, it's not about do we know this, this, and this. It's about actually do we understand how the world works, and can we get a better understanding and build things like building things like you know empathy and understanding of other cultures and things like that through what we do. And if you keep building those links in, you can see that actually how all these things across the world they all link in some way. Yeah, you know they all link in certain way, and actually we do have things in common in certain places. Um, but also you get that like you get empathy for people and things are different as well because you have you know about things that are different you don't just, you don't look at it and think you don't have that knowledge you have you don't have that understanding then then it's if things that are different can be scary and can be can make you anxious because you just don't understand them yeah. and then you might react differently in a way that if you react differently to it if, then if you have an understanding of it have that empathy yeah. things that are different 
Absolutely. And and speaking of the way we react and uh, and uh, the way that uh, we respond to things, let's talk about the third of your primary three, mm. uh, which is about the importance of behaviour or pastoral roles in in primary schools. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I, you've mentioned that you've worked in a PRU, and I, I think that mm. uh, you, you've seen a lot of things there. Why is this one of the uh, most one of the things that you've picked up for your primary three? Um, uh, just and it, it comes, it does come from working in the PRU and seeing the way that the uh, PRU is set up in terms of there is a, obviously because, you know, it's for, for children who have been excluded from mainstream education. It's, it's for children who struggle both emotionally and, and, and therefore they struggle with their behavior. Um, and so it's, it's set up in a way that actually there is a massive emphasis on helping children with their behavior and you know, a massive emphasis on a pastoral side of things um, to the point where, you know, while I was working there, actually that was more important than, than the curriculum mm. because those children at that stage in their school career, school lives have had clearly had bad experience at school. There's, there's, you know, no one who's been excluded from the school is going to come out of that thinking it's a positive thing. Yeah. You know, they're going to have that negative relationship with school because as it builds up to that point. And, you know, they, they come in with this attitude that school, they don't like school, they don't want to be in school, they don't want to the point of it. Um, and so that, so the job of a pro really is to, 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 to win, try and turn them around. The job is to try and get them to be accepting of school again, to get them to have a more positive attitude of school again, and get them to like being at school. Um, and you, if you're in a position where you're not there at that point, kids do mainstream like that as well. You know, they don't enjoy school. They don't feel like it's for them. They don't feel like they have a good relationship with the school in some ways and the family don't have a good relationship. And that's a massive barrier to, to their education. And it's really important that that's something that we, that we as schools can have an impact on you know we can change that that relationship we can we can work on removing that barrier for all the children you know this it doesn't apply to lots of children it doesn't really apply to but there are you know in, and in some schools a lot more children than others that does apply to but massive barrier to their to the to a child's education their school experience that it needs to be really high on the agenda of all schools i think and that's that's and that's me coming from true experience and seeing the impact that maybe where that's not something's gone wrong in the system there's something's gone wrong in the timeline and then it's ended up with children in the pro um and sometimes it's just those kids need to change those kids, sometimes they just need a change environment you know and actually they come they came to the pro and they were you would you wondered why they were there yeah you know um, because that change of environment is what they needed. Um, for other children, it's a lot deeper than that. And in the school I currently work at the moment, it's the first school I've worked in as a mainstream that has a it's dedic- has a dedicated media team um, in a way that the PRU did. The PRU had support staff that were education support staff and support staff that were behaviour support staff. And they focused around the pastoral side of it. And the school I'm currently at the moment has that. And you know that it works for the children that we have. It's so important for those children 
to have that and to have someone who to have a group of people. It's not a massive team. It's only maybe maybe some one to ones, but but then the, the, the team itself is maybe three or four people for two four minutes in primary school. Um, so you know they can be and and the school we're in, you know, there are some children who are you know who find school difficult and they you know they so they can be stretched at times, but they're so vital because as a task teacher, whilst I'm in the pro and I've got a small class, I can deal with children who are struggling at that point because it's only a small class and we've got, you know, me and another adult in the classroom, there might only be five children in there. Whereas if I've got 30 children and I've got a child who is struggling, I can't dedicate, I can't dedicate the time I'd like to to that child because there's another 29 other kids in the class. Yeah. But having someone who can, someone whose job is to work on behavior and pass and, and the pastoral side and make sure these kids are happy, make sure these kids are feeling okay. Someone they can go to a space. They can go. We have a space that they can go to if they need to. We have that team, the team of people, they, they run interventions based around, um, behavior children based around things like emotional literacy based around um you know based around things like having games and playing with other kids those kind of things building those skills that again as a classroom teacher you don't necessarily have the time to do because you've got your you've got your curriculum to get through you've got you've got the school days packed you haven't got the time necessarily you might have some PSAT to do but you can't focus on that one child yeah or those two children that have these certain skills that the rest of the kids to have anyway, so it's pointless for the rest of the kids to do it. It's, it's you know, that that's something that has been really is really key, I think, and it's it is sometimes only for a handful of children, but it's something that that in primary schools I've not seen a lot of. Yeah, in secondary schools they have pastoral teams, they have big or big behavior teams, um, but we don't do a lot of that in primary. In terms, of we have a, we don't necessarily have dedicated people for it. Yeah. We have, we just have who's around, and we try our best, and we do what we can. Having a, t- a you know a small team dedicated to that for that school makes a massive difference. Mm-hmm. There are children in the school that I currently teach who, without that, would be struggling every day. Yeah, and would be candidates to go to the group. You know, if they didn't have the, that that extra support that they get, that extra ability to be like, you know what, I need to go, and I'm, I'm currently feeling, re- you know, really angry about something right now. It's not going how I want it, so I need to go and see someone to talk about it. Yeah. And as a class teacher, you want to be that person, but you can't be that person. Mm. And yeah. so having that in a school is really important. Yeah, it's really interesting this. And I think it's such a really good point. And making it clear that, you know, a dedicated behavior or pastoral team isn't the, aren't the ones that just go and deal with bad behavior. No, 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 it, no. It, it's to build and structure and promote yeah. those opportunities for that child yeah. to go and talk through and be able to work yeah. through those things. And yeah. like, you, like you say, as a class teacher, very often you, you don't have a teaching assistant, you know, who can kind of manage the class whilst you deal with that mm-hmm. behavior. It's very often just you. And so being able to approach or address those concerns or issues yeah. is just not possible. And so having yeah. that it's structure in place, um, you know, a, a dedicated couple of people or, or person in it, school. And it's a different relationship as well, you know, it's yeah. a different relationship with a child. You know, as a teacher, you're often, in terms of behaviour, you can often be, 
you know, the bad guy as the teacher because you're the one who's who's setting those expectations. You're the one who's keep making sure children keep their expectations, challenging children that don't meet those expectations. So you can often be the bad guy in those situations. You can be the person that, that someone might be angry at or the person that someone doesn't like because, you know, you might be because you're pulling people up on, pulling children up on things. Whereas, you know, the behavior, a behavioral team can then come in and be the other side of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be the, for one, they can, they'll still be, follow that, you know, there's consistency because, you know, you, you need that with school. You know, they, they, the pay, our behavior team will back teachers all the way, but they will, they do it, they do it slightly differently. They, you know, they allow there's someone there to, for the children to talk, for someone to reason with in a different way that's not necessarily going to end up, you know, on, because you know, as a class teacher, you can see, okay, I can see that you're angry right now. This isn't, you know, I think we need some, you need some time to go and focus on what you're doing and deal with this. Would you like to go and see this person? Would you like to spend some time here? Having that as an option mm. makes a massive difference. Yeah. Massive difference to, and if you don't have that option, you either have, then, then that, that child is unlikely to be able to be successful for a, for a period of time. Mm. You know, if they have to regulate themselves some way, or you have to pull in someone else somewhere to regulate to help help out. You don't have that regular say that regular team. You might have just someone who's oh, you're just someone's walking by. Yeah. Could you just give us a hand with this? You know, I think this. I think this. I think someone needs a bit of time to have a chat. If you've got a dedicated team of that kind of thing. You know, people people who are uh, what well, one of the things I've noticed with the current school I'm in and it was in the pro as well is because we have those teams, there's so much CPD on those on 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 things like emotional literacy. There's so much CPD on emotional coaching and things like that. Way you know, so that everyone is singing from the same hymn sheet, mm. um, so that we all have the same scripts and things like that the way we talk to children how we how we speak to them how we deal with them but that so that means that everyone has those things because the behavioral team the team who will be using those the most and that's that's the most important part of their job uh, to make sure that we're all on the same page all the teachers get that as well and all the support staff get that all the slt are getting that support as well mm. and it makes makes us better at our jobs i think you know to have focus around the behavior focus around something that's pastoral rather than just just curriculum and just education and like i said before it's it's about making sure kids are ready and successful or why they're happy they're not happy and they're not comfortable they're not safe they won't be successful in the classroom and yeah it's just having that extra team makes that job easier it makes that job easy and it makes it better for those children that need it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, as a classroom teacher, you know, someone listening to this podcast who, who doesn't have that responsibility of being able to have that team, you know, it, it's it's looking at behaviour as an approach and, and working with the children and giving chance to regulate. And perhaps if there is a child that is struggling in your class, speaking with a senior leader or someone to try and set up, you know, a regular uh, avenue or place where that yeah. child can then go yeah. and have that time to regulate, which I think is yeah. really, really important advice there. Schools, schools do, they do, they, you know, they do the best they can, really, yeah. you know, what they've got. Um, but I think it's definitely something where we would have, we would need or should have 
the ability to have that kind of focus and that kind of support in place just you know isn't just oh well you know a couple of people who we've not wrote in as much you know you know when you pull from other places and it's it that makes it difficult inconsistent all that kind of stuff have something dedicated i think it's really important i think and i think especially in the last couple of the last couple of years because you've got children who have missed a massive amount of school and massive amounts of socializing and that's when that's development that social and personal development lots of children have missed so they're behind in that sense so they lots of people will need that support mm. probably like possibly even more than they did three two three four years ago yeah, absolutely. Really, really important points. Thank you so much for those, Primary. There's so much there for us to take away, Brett, and have a think about with our practice, which is brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Last couple of questions for you. Who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Um, it, this was um, fairly easy once I told through who'd been on before and tried to find someone who had, but actually, before I even saw through, I had this person in mind um, as someone who is probably just one of the nicest people I've met in teaching. I met him through Twitter. Um, uh, initially met him through Twitter in a group that was just about fantasy football. <laughs> so didn't even meet through a teaching avenue. It was just a group of teachers who, who'd, who'd set up fantasy football league, basically. Um, and then just went from there. But one of the nicest guys that I'm, I've, I know in, in primary, and he's got so much to offer. And, and in that, and it links into that kind of pastoral thing. He's brilliant at that kind of stuff. And again, he's he's a lead, he lead as well, like me at the moment. And he's so you know he's got lots of things in common with me and different things on that. Um, it's I'm the name yet. It's um, Peter Harding. Um, he's amazing muggle on Twitter. Um, those people that, have, that have know him and 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 those people that have interacted with him know that he's a guy who's got a heart goal. You know, he's constantly pushing within school for, you know, these, his, his kids to do brilliantly. And for one of the things I think actually one that I really like about him is he's got so much time with other people. He's got time for everyone. He will look out for everyone. And, you know, he's one of those people that within, on, that I know that if I've got something that's, an issue or a problem, even something that's just getting me down about something, I know I could speak to him about it and he would listen and he would take the time to talk about it and, and I know that he would, he's also like that with his kids. You know, he's just a really great guy. He's got a real passion for education, passion for the well-being of kids, I think, and well-being of everyone. He's got a real well passion for well-being making sure but not in a way that's tokenistic you know he's he wants people to be happy he wants people to um he wants to support people if they're not he wants to um just get the best out of everyone to be the best they can um and i think you know he'd he'd be brilliant to listen to and and on, on on podcasts like this i think he's he's really just a really great guy and got so much, so much to offer as such education. I mean, excellent. That's fantastic. We'll certainly get in touch with him. And finally, for you, Brett, what is the best thing about being in primary education? I think 
kind of go full circle back to the to the beginning. Um, it's it's the impact mm. that you have, and it's the the that purpose that we talked about at the beginning. How you are you, you make a difference, and you matter to 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 the communities you work in. You know, it's it's you come in every day and you spend time with these children, these families, and and what you do plays a huge role in their lives. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing about it is is having that you know positive impact on pe on not just the children's life but family's life, you know, on the lives of the community people the community and and that's what does it for me. You know, even when you have these really hard days and things and you know, there's times and I, I you know, we I'm sure we all have those times when we come back and think, God, I, I can't keep doing this. This is really hard work at the moment. You know, there's always something that happens. You're making a difference. You're you're having an impact on someone at some point. You know, you're always there. You know, I've had the current the current cohort that I'm teaching. They're a difficult class, difficult kids to work with, but and I have you know this this one relationship this one boy who is we are we we have it's rocky because he, he's one of those kids who who struggles a little bit with the expectations and, and that you know needs, we, we work a lot with him on, on on his choices and behavior and talking about how he is you know and he's but i know that he he also has told me you know that he he likes me being his teacher yeah he likes me he likes having me around and he, you know, and that's, that's, that's what I think is the best part of our job is you make a difference. You, this child, even though we have that relationship that can be difficult at times, it still matters. It matters to him. And, and he, he knows that it, we're trying to do our best for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what it is. I think, you know, the kids know that we make a difference to them and they, they enjoy it and they like what we do for them and the families, you know, on the whole are really grateful and we make it, you know, we just make a big difference and it's, it's, we play an important role because we spend so much time with these children, these families, you know, we, we play a huge role in getting them ready for the world. Hmm. You know, you would, I'd say, you know, you, you know, Parents and family, obviously, that's that's the biggest influence. But then, if you look at you know the people that spend the, next, the most amount of time with these two big children after that, is basically people in school. Mm. You know, we we spend so much time with these children, we play such a big role in shaping them for the future. Um, that you know, it's, that's that's the thing that that matters. You know, it's not even like I say, it's not even really that the curriculum is important to them. But it's actually it's making sure that these kids are ready. Mm-hmm. These kids are ready for the next stage in their life. You know, for us, it's making them ready for secondary school, isn't it? You know, or getting them ready for the next year group or whatever it is. But it's making sure they're ready and making sure that they're ready as people. And they've got the skills they need, and the knowledge is part of that. But it's not everything. Mm-hmm. Then this is the skills, and they need the life skills and the social skills they need, and, and the, the like. I say that cultural capital to be able to understand the world better. You know, so that they're ready to go out into it in the next stage of their lives. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Brett. It really is a, a great position that we have, a great honour it is to teach the, this, mm-hmm. this rising generation, the, the people that will come forward and 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 be part of this this yeah. amazing place that we live. And and so thank you so much uh, for the, oh, no, it's been a pleasure. the chance that you've uh, given us to be here today. Uh, thanks for your time, Primary Education Voices. Mm-hmm. Once again, another great episode on Primary Education Voices. Brett was so giving of his time and I'm so pleased that we had him on the podcast. Some really interesting ideas and discussion that we had. Loved his uh, funny story that he shared. Uh, I knew about about third of, three quarters of the way through that story, I could see where it was going. But when he shared uh, the... Um, the reveal, of course, of being in, as one of the, well, baby spice in the Spice Girls. That was a, a great um, story to share. His primary three were fantastic. I loved the discussion on picture books and comics, something which uh, we've talked about a lot, uh, not a lot actually, but a number of times throughout the podcast series is picture books. But um, the insights he gave about developing cultural capital through these books was really interesting, I thought, as well as, of course, the idea of using comics. Um, so if you are interested in using comics more in your teaching, then please do get in touch with Brett because I think it's a really interesting avenue, which will, of course, engage your more reluctant readers as well. Then, of course, we moved on to low stakes retrieval across the curriculum. Loved the discussion about themes and discussing how in lessons it's not just necessarily the the retrieval practice grid you can use at the start of a lesson to build in retrieval practice to your teaching but actually throughout the whole lesson uh, making sure that we can bring in aspects of other things we've learned in the curriculum to then build up and strengthen um, the things we're then discussing um, in that lesson about for example that in the example he gave with conflicts about world war ii building that into other types of conflicts and how conflict has developed over centuries uh, across the world. I thought that was a really interesting insight into how we could further build low stakes uh, retrieval uh, into our learning uh, throughout the curriculum. Uh, And then, of course, our discussion on behaviour and pastoral um, teams and roles in primary education. Um, The ideal world, of course, as he said, being that we have a dedicated team uh, within our settings to work with children who do need that extra support to be able to um, engage with the standards that we have for learning and behaviour in a school. Of course, that is not always the case in every setting, and I'm sure many listening would love to have a dedicated team in their school to have that. Uh, But also, just even if you don't have that dedicated team, thinking about how you can put in support structures and scaffolds and um, places for children who do struggle with um, you know, with standards and, and working with those standards in a school, giving them a place where they can regulate and uh, a consistent, dedicated person that they can go to and have that conversation with is such really important um, principles to have in place uh, in your in your setting. So thank you so much, Brett, uh, for, for sharing your time. And all I can say once again is if you are interested in hearing a particular primary colleague, uh, then please share with me at Prime Edgy Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt if you'd love to uh, hear from someone in particular in a future episode. Please do subscribe to the podcast, as I said at the beginning, and please leave a review. That would really help. And we'll see you again next time when we'll meet another inspirational educator. <laughs>